welcome back to the podcast on Germany. My name is Jacob, and this is episode 9. Hey there, neighbor. So before we begin today's episode, I just want to take a minute and thank all of you for your hard work over this last month. We increased our listenership by 27 since the beginning of the month, and it's all thanks to you guys. So on January 8th, I will announce who won. And if you would like to try again, don't worry, we will be having another recruitment month in May. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I do suggest that you start with episode one. But you can also follow us on Facebook at the Podcast on Germany page. Or you can go to the website at www.podcastongermany.com and subscribe there. All right, let's go ahead and get on with today's topic. So... We're about to enter the written history of the Germans and end our discussion on these early Germans. However, before we leave what could ultimately be a culmination of 2,000 years of history, we should talk about the Germans' relationship with their neighbors. Now, the Germans do not live in seclusion. In fact, if there is one common tie among all of our podcasts, from the very beginning to the very end, it's that Germany is never in a bubble of their own. They are located in the middle of Europe, and some of the most perfect tourist grounds for armies. Well, at least it seems that way, considering how many different armies will visit the area in one war or another. But Germany is not surrounded by a massive ocean, it's not surrounded by impassable mountains, There's not a huge desert completely cutting them off from others. They live their entire lives surrounded by other cultures. And so their history and their culture cannot be separated from the rest of the world. They are part of the larger world the entire time. And so their culture, their history, is going to be based around their relationships with those around them. Now, I have been mentioning that things will change when the Germans meet the Roman Empire. But the Romans aren't their first neighbors that the Germans have. Even the Romans, who give us our first written relationship with the Germans, hint, it's not going pretty well for them at that time, but the Roman sources admit that the Germans have changed things for the Gauls along their border. If you don't believe me, this is what Julius Caesar wrote. Quote, The Germans who dwell beyond the Rhine, and whom they, Gaul, are continually waging war for which reasons the Hevelti also surpass the rest of the Gauls in valor, as they contend with the Germans in almost daily battles when they repel them from their own territories or themselves wage war on their frontiers. Now, that was a little confusing, I admit. But what he's saying is that this tribe located along the Rhine, are better than the rest of the Gauls in the area because they are constantly fighting with the Germans. So Caesar admits that the constant fighting between the Gauls on the Rhine and the Germanic tribes across the Rhine have caused some major changes on the Gauls, which presents new challenge to the Romans who aren't going to be used to fighting their tactics. So is this the relationship between the Gauls and the Germans? Or the Celts and the Germans overall? Well, it's complicated. First, let's start off by defining what is a Celt and what is a Gaul. So, 
A Gaul is from northern Italy and France, and they are part of the Celtic people. The Celts spread throughout Europe. They are from, you can find them in the Balkans, all the way through Italy, into France, and up into Britain and Ireland. Unfortunately, most of their culture doesn't make it into the modern world, thanks to the Romans and later invasions. But at one point, they stretched across Europe. And they formed this neat barrier between the Germans in the north and the Romans to the south. And the Gauls that Caesar was mentioning, those are the ones he was fighting in France and northern Italy. So that's what the Gauls and the Celts are. What about the relationship? What makes it so complicated? Well, the Celts and the Germans aren't a single tribe. It's not a single entity. You have to remember, Germany doesn't form until 1871 as a united country. France, it does it before then, but it's not a united country by the time the Roman Empire is growing. They're all a bunch of different tribes that have their own relationships with each other, with outside forces. It's village-based. You can't just say the Germans and the Gauls were always fighting, because they weren't. Some of the tribes along the Rhine might have fought each other. Some of the tribes on the Danube might have fought each other. But you're not going to see the tribes up in Jutland fighting the tribes located in modern-day Marseille. Why would they? So we can't just automatically assume what the relationship was for all the tribes on both sides. So at best, we can say it's complicated. The Celts and the Germans don't see each other as Celts and Germans. They don't see each other based on these cultural boundaries. They don't see each other based on language boundaries. They see themselves as their tribe as the Helvetii, as the Suebi, not the Germans, not the Gauls. So some of the tribes along the Rhine, well, they might team up, the Gauls and the Germans might team up together against an opposing Germanic tribe or an opposing Gallic tribe. Or along the Danube, same thing. Some of the Celts might have joined up with the Germans and they would have fought an outside force, or they could have fought each other. And they're not fighting because of different languages. They're fighting because there's some good trade grounds, some fishing areas that they want. There are so many other sources that they'll be fighting over, but it's not because of a cultural barrier. Does that make sense? So, no clear relationship between these groups of people because there's really not these groups of people. There's multiple groups of people. So, if we look at the archaeological record, what do we get in this relationship that's complicated? Well, what we do see is a lot of trade. Now, unfortunately, it's easier to see what the Celts are influencing in Germany than vice versa through these cultural goods. Now, this is because of the nature of goods that would be coming from Germany. We know that the Germans don't have a lot of skill or material to rely on metalworking, which we could easily find in the archaeological record. What they could have would be wooden goods, foods, amber, and animal products. 
Unfortunately, the majority of that deteriorates rather quickly. Now we do know that there are trading settlements created by the Celts or by mixing of the Celts and nearby Germanic and Eastern tribes that will become major trading hubs between the two sides. They will actually lead to strongholds for political power and change the relationship of a chieftain to a tribe in Germany. We're going to see some rather powerful chieftains rise up and they're going to cause massive headaches for the Romans later on. These trade centers are going to flourish from about 150 BC to about 50 BC. Now why 50 BC? Well, around that time, Julius Caesar is finishing up Gaul. He is wiping out Celtic resistance in that area. And so a lot of the Celts are going to be fleeing. It's going to be massive panic as they're being defeated by the Romans. And so these trading centers, they're not going to have anything to trade from the Gauls to the south, and they're going to start to collapse. Now, in these trading centers, we have found Germanic beer. We have found Mediterranean wines. We have found amber and bronze goods. We've been able to find that they've actually carefully planned these settlements to control the natural resources in the area and to maintain control of the trade network. It's an amazing trade center. And there's not just one, there's several along the border between what we consider the Celts and the Germans. And it's an amazing connection between the two groups. The trade, however, doesn't stay around the area of these trade towns. As we go on, you'll see what I mean. But for now, let's see what the Celts are trading to the Germans. Well, from the archaeological record, we've actually found a lot of Celtic material in Germany. The Celts are located in this in-between world of the basic agricultural life of the Germans and the large civilization building in the Mediterranean which creates a fascinating culture of their own and allows them to spread throughout Central Europe. The Celts make amazing metalwork. And we can find this throughout Germany. We know these came from the Celts because of the style and also from the well-known fact that the German metalwork material is extremely rare at best. We can find their material all the way through Germania with examples as far north as the Baltic. Many of the material comes from what is called the Latinia style. We believe this has started in southern Bohemia in the 200-300 BC. The majority of these are brooches, pottery, and other bits and pieces of metalworking. You remember the bog people? Well, they aren't the only things in the bogs. Nor were the ships or the weapons. You know, with all the stuff inside the bog, it's amazing that there was any water in the bog. It seems like there's probably just an inch of water and the rest of it was filled with whatever the early Germans wanted to throw away from possible supernatural people to workable boats. Well, they also throw in some amazing Celtic metalwork. Perhaps the most amazing was found in a bog at Gundestrup in the Jutland Peninsula. It is a silver cauldron of Celtic highmark and metalworking from about the 2nd century BC. 
It is again from the southeastern area of Europe. And while we don't know a lot about the background of how it arrived here, or why it was thrown into the peat bog, it's still an amazing and beautiful cauldron. It contains a gallery of divine beings and totemic animals. Strabo, a Greek writer during the transition between the Roman Republic and the Empire, claims that the gift of a silver cauldron was worthy of the emperor, and that the cauldron was considered a high honor gift from the tribe Serembri, located near the Danube. The Serembri saw these cauldrons as the most sacred of vessels. Now, if this is a similar scenario, then the Germans have received an amazing gift, and it must be going to a powerful tribe leader or religious cult. Now, this cauldron was given to the northern Germans, who are nowhere near where the Celts are from. The cauldron is located in Denmark, while the creators are from the central Hungarian area. So, we know that strong bonds are being built all over Germany with the Celts to the south. Now, maybe the creators of the cauldron groaned when they heard that their handiwork was being thrown into a bog, or maybe they were extremely proud to know that their cauldron was being sacrificed to the gods. There's no way of knowing. But what we can tell is that this is an amazing gift that was given from the Celts to the Germans. And that later on, the same gift was the equivalent of honoring a Roman emperor. Something major must have happened. And unfortunately, we just don't know what. Now, the Celtics aren't just affecting trade with the Germans. They are also changing some burials. Remember everything we talked about last week? Well, there are some changes to this, as we have found dismantled carts being buried along some of the dead in places such as Schleswig and Denmark. Now, Schleswig is just south of Denmark and contained a four-wheel cart that was under a stone cyst along with a bronze vessel containing the remains of the dead. And the claws of a bearskin that would have probably been wrapped around the body before it was burned. The card itself is a type that we can find throughout the Celtic world, and it dates around the latter 1st century BC. Now maybe this was a traitor, and he was buried in his people's fashion, or maybe this was a German who had been honored by the Celts and chose to take some of the goods with him to his grave. In Denmark, we have found a great bronze cauldron that could hold 130 gallons of your favorite beer. So I'm thinking the guy who's buried there, he's either a boozer, or he really loves soup. Unfortunately, we can't tell. Now these burials and finds in the bogs point to a spread of Celtic material throughout the Germanic lands. And we see a rapid increase of these goods around the 2nd and 1st century BC. Now, why do you think that is? Well, it could be that the Celtic neighbors to the south, a place called Rome, was causing a lot of trouble for them. And so the Celts start to look to the north for allies. And maybe these items that we're finding in Germany 
from this time period are the Celtics' attempts to buy the Germans' help. The record actually does support this. Don't believe me? Well, let's get Julius Caesar out again. That the Germans were called in for hire by the Arverni and the Sequani, that about 15,000 of them had at first crossed the Rhine, but after that these wild and savage men had become enamored for the lands and the refinement and the abundance of the Gauls, more were brought over, that there were now as many as 120,000 of them in Gaul. End quote. Now, the numbers are going to be wildly inaccurate. Julius Caesar is pretty good at doing that. Heck, the Romans are amazing at doing that. And it makes sense. If you're trying to promote yourself, one of the best ways of doing it is to make the enemies that you defeat seem unsurmountable. Double, triple, quadruple their numbers. So that way, when you defeat them, everyone thinks you're amazing. Now, despite this, we can be sure that there were a lot of Germans inside of Gaul and the Celtic world. And we know that they were doing mercenary work. Now, mercenary work is an excellent form of trade for poor people. The Germans do not have much in metal work to trade with. And the only thing that they can offer the Celts is items they craft from wood, food, beer if they can convince them that it's really good. But overall, the Germans are going to be on the lackluster side of trade goods with the Celts. The one thing they can offer is themselves become mercenary for these Celts. They can offer battle-hardened soldiers and trade for these goods. Now, mercenaries are a mixed bag for whoever gets them. They do have a couple of advantages. First of all, you immediately get armed and trained soldiers to fight for you, and that will stay for you as long as the pay is good. So you don't have to upset your villages by pulling out needed workers. You don't have to train your men and pay them. You don't have to arm them. The mercenaries come with all this up front. You just have to pay them the amount that they want. You also have a distinct advantage over your enemies because while they still have to build their army, you automatically have one ready for you. Disadvantages? Well, the mercenaries are only good for as long as the pay is good. So, if you lose too many battles, you don't pay them what was owed, or they think they can have a better opportunity if they work for the enemy or for themselves, well, that mercenary army that you have just became a massive threat that you let inside your own domain. But when you use mercenaries, a lot of times you're starting to become desperate. And the Celts were desperate. And they needed these Germanic troops to fight the wars, not only with one another, but with the threat of Rome to the south. So much of the trade between the Germans and the Celts, from the Germanic side at least, will involve these mercenaries. The Celts are sending metalwork to the north, and the Germans are sending themselves to the south. We see massive changes in German burials from the Celts. However, these Celts aren't the only neighbors of the Germans. They are the largest one, no doubt, as they cover pretty much the entire southern border of where we put the Germans. In the east, there are some neighbors over there. 
The problem with these neighbors is that they get extremely difficult to establish. It's really hard to establish cultures and ties to one another in the East. That's because while the Celts were a mixture of Germanic farming and Mediterranean civilization building, the East is where the nomad tribes are starting the adventures of farming. So we have constant moving tribes, constant warfare, and we have some early attempts to establish a cultural material that we can use to study. But overall, the area is a large question mark. We have been able to find a large trade hub called Prezovsk, and it emerged in about the 1st century BC, and it actually will stay until the 5th century AD. And it's located in Hungary, and it was a hub between the Celts, the Jastorf group of the Oder and Elbe valleys in the north, and the Belgrave culture from Poland. Now, these groups and the culture that I mentioned, we assume that they're cultures. The Belgrave culture from Poland is what we've pulled together from a large area and tried to establish as a culture. Same thing with the groups from the Oder and the Elbe valleys. We don't have a clear, distinct idea about them, but we can pull certain things from the material we have found in that area to try to establish a culture. Now, located at this trading hub, we have found horse gear and golden spurs in great quantity. We find several rich graves, especially from the later area when the Roman Empire is at its max. And despite the threat of the Romans to the south, This trade center remains a continual booming trading town. But this is the best we have. We can assume that the trading town collapsed due to the chaos caused from new threats in the east. But we don't know much about the people who are there. We don't know much about the trade that will continue in the area and how much it affected the European world. And unfortunately, that is just a common issue with dealing with early Eastern European history. So those are the two big neighbors for the Germans that we can talk about. We have the Eastern tribes, which again is mainly a big question mark. And then we have the Celts to the south. And with the Celts, we can see a lot of trading happening through these small trading towns located along the Rhine and the Danube. We can see the trade spreading throughout Germany in forms of metalworking, brooches, weapons, and beautiful, amazing cauldrons. And for the Celts, well, we're getting examples of men, mercenaries, for the Germans coming down to help them fight their wars. And next week, we'll discuss what happens when these Celts call the Germans down to help them. And we'll start to talk about what happens as the Celts slowly get squeezed from the north the south, and we're that much closer to the Romans running into the Germans. Well, that'll do it for today. I hope you guys have a great week, and I'll see you on Tuesday. Tuesday.